Before the sermon, we'll read from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. If you're using one of the red Bibles in the pew back in front of you, that'll be found on page 238. 1 Samuel, chapter 16, starting in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If you're with us this morning, you'll recall that we spent a great deal of time considering the fact that as fathers, as husbands, as men, we need to, and as all people, need to keep our eyes focused on God, that we need to have our eyes affixed upon Him, that we need to look toward Him for our guidance and for our uh, understanding and for the purpose and direction for our life. This evening, I want us to consider for a short amount of time what it is that that is different in the way that God sees and looks upon us and the fact that he sees, as Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord sees not as man sees. When I think about seeing in a way that other people don't see, the first thing that comes to mind as I think about uh, that idea is thinking about my mother telling me that she had eyes in the back of her head, perhaps your mother said something similar to you, that she could see in a way that you couldn't see because you understood you couldn't see what was behind you, but somehow she knew that everything that was going on around her was happening even though she wasn't turned and facing towards you. But as you think about this phrase, the Lord sees not as man sees, I want us to consider a few ways in which the Lord sees and, 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 and uses his eyes and is able to envision things or perceive things that you and I are unable to do. First this evening, I want us to consider that the Lord has seen every second of history. The Lord has seen every second of history. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter number one and consider with me some interesting things that are noticed in that great creation account. We recall that there were six days of creation and on the seventh day the Lord rested. But notice that at the end of each day that there is something that is said that Uh, regarding God and his ability to see what had taken place. Verse number four, God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And verse number 10, God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was very good. And verse number 12, and the earth brought forth grass the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse number 18, and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw 
that it was good. Verse 21, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Verse 25, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And then in verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made And indeed, it was very good. Not only do we understand that from the very beginning has God seen every second of history, he's aware of everything that's taken place. He knows exactly what has transpired. There's no question in his mind about what has actually taken place. He was there from the very beginning and he has witnessed it. He has seen every single second of history. But not only did God see what happened, he also saw why it happened. In Psalm chapter 90, in verse number four, the psalmist says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. The idea is that as time marches on, as the world continues to exist, time for humans causes us to forget things. But for God, a thousand years is but as it was yesterday. And as you think about that, God not only remembers what happened, but he remembers why it happened. This gives him the clearest understanding of why things are the way that they are, and everything is in context for him. It's the one thing, it's one thing to, to know the facts. It's an entirely different thing to know the why of the facts. And when we think about the fact that God sees, the Lord sees not as man sees, one thing that we can say about God, having seen every second of history, is that he knows what has happened and he knows why it has happened because he's seen everything that's taken place. So the Lord has seen every second of history, but also the Lord has already seen every second of the future. The Lord has already seen every second of the future As you think about this, I want us to consider at least four ways in which the Lord has seen the future that knows what is going to take place. He has seen every choice that I'm going to make. In Psalm 139 and verse number 16, the psalmist said, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This is an important theological idea, an important theological truth that that some have questioned about God. This doesn't mean that God has determined the future in the sense that he has set it into motion and that everything that takes place is outside of yours and, and mine, my, mine and yours, mine, my control and your control. We understand that God has given us free will. It doesn't mean that God, having seen the future, has determined what is going to take place. It doesn't remove the free will of man, but instead, God's foreknowledge allows him to perfectly make decisions about his involvement in the future and what will transpire and and how his will can come to fruition because of his perfect knowledge of the future, what is to come, and every choice that I am personally going to make. But not only that, he has seen every difficulty in my life that I'm going to face. He already knows that about me. In Psalm 139, the same chapter in verse number 16, the psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance In your book were written every one of them, that is the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
Do you remember the, the scene in Indiana Jones years ago when he was trying to, to get to the secret room with all the cups and he was searching for the Holy Grail, but in order to get to that room, he had to make his way through this obstacle course that was booby-trapped and all kinds of, of you know, levers and, and, and swords and things were going to come flying at him and great big rocks and boulders and that he was going to be crushed. If you had an opportunity to go through something like that with God at your side as one who can foresee the future, knows what's coming before it actually happens, wouldn't you want him to be at your side? As you think about God and his involvement in the future and knowing the future, he's already seen every single difficulty that you and I will face. Sometimes because we can only see the present, because we, we don't have any idea what tomorrow is going to hold, we may become frustrated with why God may not be allowing something to take place in my life. When in reality, God may know something in my future that, that maybe doesn't make that thing the wisest thing to take place in my life. And so perhaps, as sometimes John has mentioned, that God's prayers are always answered, but as we think about them, sometimes he answers them by saying, I'll show you a better way. And so God, having seen the future and every second of it, knowing every difficulty and every circumstance that I may face, knows what's best for me in my life. But he's also seen every purpose that he is able and is going to accomplish in my life. Consider Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. I am God, and there is none like me, the Lord says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. We understand in the context that this is regarding specific prophecy and God's will and his workings in in the children of Israel and the coming of the kingdom uh, in Jesus Christ. But you and I are part of that kingdom today. And and as we think about what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter number one and verse number 11, Paul said, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose or the counsel of his will. This is not to suggest, as some do, that, that God has a plan for your life in some specific way and maybe the exact job that you get or the spouse that someday you will marry and all those different maybe types of things that say, well, what's God's plan for me in this? But what God's plan is for you in your life is that you heed his will, that you obey it, that you follow the things that he has set out for you in his word, and that when we do that, he will accomplish his purpose in each and every one of our lives, and he has seen what will take place by his purpose in our lives. He knows the good things that will come from that. He knows that. He sees that. He's aware of that. One final way that the Lord has already seen every second of the future that no one else knows, not even the angels, not even the Son of God. But as you think about the fact that Jesus doesn't know the day of the Lord, the Lord, God, has already seen every second of the future. He knows the day of the Lord. We don't know what tomorrow may hold because we like to plan and, and get into routines, but God knows what the future holds like no other. He knows when he is going to return. He knows the day that is coming. In Matthew chapter 24, verse number 36, Jesus says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. The Lord has already seen every second of the future. We consider next this evening that the Lord can see from every place 
from his throne. The Lord can see every place from his throne. The psalmist said in Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15, the Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth and he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all of their works. Now the idea of the Lord seeing every place from his throne can be one of two things for you. It can be a comforting thing or it can be a fearful thing. Think about the fact that it can be a a comforting thing. Psalm 34, verse number 15, the psalmist says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. In other words, you are seen by God. God sees you and knows you and understands the struggles and the difficulties that you're going through. And this is a comforting thing to, to know that the God of the universe, the God of heaven sees you and knows you. That's, that's a thing in, in our world that there's this idea of, of the importance and need to be seen, right? Our, our society talks about that. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. God sees you. He sees the righteous. He understands your cries. He hears them. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12, Peter quotes this particular psalm and he uses it in the midst of writing about the need to maintain hope and cling to hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. The Lord sees even when you're enduring pain and suffering and heartache, the Lord sees you. But as we said, not only could it be a comforting thing, but it can be a fearful thing. As you think about Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number three, perhaps you remember this from your youth as something that was fearful and for for good reason. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, verse 24 says, can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Think about Jonah and the fact that he tried to run from God and hide from God, but he could not do that. When we're in sin, we're not in the right relationship with the Lord, it is a fearful thing to know that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Hebrews chapter four, verse number 13, the Hebrews writer said, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees everything from his throne. The Lord has already seen everything that's transpired in history. He's seen every second of the future. The Lord can see every place from his throne. But consider this, the Lord sees the big picture and the smallest important details. Turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter number four, verse number 10. Perhaps a a section of scripture that we don't often turn to, but as this particular prophecy was taking place and thinking about the rebuilding of the temple after the uh, conquest of Canaan and they having been taken to Babylon and now they're returning back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. There were some, it seems, that in Ezra, chapter number three, that there were some that maybe that were older that had seen the temple and Solomon's temple and all his grandeur and glory that as they came back and and rebuilt it, it could have been that they were crying because they were sad about the state of the new temple. It didn't compare. 
Some believe that maybe they were crying with tears of joy and happiness, but there's also a case to be made for the fact that they were crying tears of sadness for the difference and the, the inferiority of this temple having been rebuilt. And it was maybe a small thing, something that was not quite as great and grand as the original temple. But notice what is said in Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 10. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven, talking about the eyes that are on a stone in the previous chapter, these seven eyes rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. The point being that even in this circumstance where the new temple had been rebuilt, that even though it may not have matched up to and was compared to the previous temple in any way, at least in the minds of the older generation that had seen it before, God still took pleasure even in that circumstance and saw the small important details and the fact that the temple had been rebuilt. It had previously been destroyed, but now even in this infancy of the rebuilding of the temple, the Lord took pleasure in it and he saw it. He was happy about it. I want us to think about the fact that in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, that God's perfect wisdom sees the importance of even the smallest of sacrifices. Do you remember in Luke chapter 21, the widow who put two mites in the box? What is said there in Luke chapter 21, verse number 1 through 4? Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. But in verse number two, it says that he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had. The Lord sees the big picture. He's seen every second of history. He knows the future, but he doesn't miss the small details. He sees even the small sacrifices that are made by sweet little widow ladies, as sometimes we call them. God's perfect wisdom sees the importance of even the smallest sacrifice, but it also sees each unique individual in an infinitely vast and large and grand universe. Think about the fact that Psalm 147 and verse number four says that the Lord counts the numbers of the stars and he calls them by name. Do you think that if the Lord knows each and every star and calls them by name that he does not know you? Certainly he does. Maybe you feel as though you are a small individual in the grand scheme of the kingdom, in the grand scheme of history, but the Lord knows you. The Lord sees you. He sees even the smallest, quote unquote, of individuals in his church. God's perfect wisdom sees value and worth and what so many overlook. In Luke chapter 12, verses six through seven, Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. The Lord sees the big picture, but he also sees the small details. Consider next that the Lord sees things that cannot be seen with human eyes. The Lord sees things that cannot be seen with human eyes. We've already considered 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7 in our scripture reading that the Lord sees not as man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. 
In Luke chapter 16 and verse number 15, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. He sees your heart. So he knows within your heart your intentions. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse number 9, it says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. Don't you wish sometimes that you could understand people's intentions? All you can ever see is their actions a lot of times, but you can't know their hearts, and so you don't know their intentions oftentimes. The Lord sees our intentions. Again, could be a fearful thing, but also can be a comforting thing. He knows our thoughts. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He knows the things we're struggling with, as we mentioned earlier, but he also knows the negative thoughts and attitudes that we have towards other people. He knows our bitterness. He knows our grudges. He knows our envy. He knows things that are within us that no one else can see except for us. Sometimes those things are, are revealed in certain attitudes and actions that we have. But as we said, only the Lord can truly know our thoughts. He also knows our secret sin. Psalm chapter 90, verse number 8, the psalmist says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. And so as we said, it can be a fearful thing that he sees the secret sins, but he also sees our secret righteousness. In Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 4, having just said that we ought not to be doing our alms in the old King James Version, right? Our deeds of righteousness but to be seen by men, but that we ought to do them in secret for our Lord sees in secret and rewards us. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand or your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret for our Father sees in secret and will reward you. He also sees our faith. In Mark chapter 2 and verse number 5, when the friends brought the paralytic man and let him down through the roof, it says in verse number 5 that the Lord Jesus saw their faith. Sometimes our faith can be called into question. Our faithfulness to the Lord can be doubted, but Jesus, our God, he knows. He sees even our faith. Consider quickly that there are some things, though, that the Lord does not see. The Lord does not see the physical, as we mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7. He does not look on the outward appearance of a man, but he looks on the heart. But not only that, the Lord does not see with prejudice or partiality. In Romans chapter 2, verse number 11, we understand that the Lord does not see with partiality. He also does not see our pardoned sin. He doesn't see our pardoned sin. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool, as though God has literally caused his eyes to no longer see our sin. Though it was red like scarlet, now it is white as snow. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. Micah chapter 7, verse number 19, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all, all of our sins into the depths of the sea. 
In Psalm 103, verses number 12, the psalmist says, our sins are as far from him as the east is from the west. The idea is that God no longer sees, not as though he was incapable in the sense that uh, the whole riddle back in the day, you know, can God create a rock so big that he cannot move it? The idea here, though, is that he has chosen to no longer see those things because he has forgiven us like that. As you think about all of these things, consider some lessons to learn. Consider some lessons to learn. In some ways, our eyes will never be like God's eyes. Our eyes will never be like God's eyes. As we said, we will never have the full picture of the past. We weren't there. We weren't there sometimes when other people did things or said things about us or did things to us in every circumstance. We weren't aware of and fully aware of the fact that there are some things that people did and we don't know why they did them. But God has seen them and we will never be able to be like that. We need to remember that. We will never be able to look into the future. Though we wish we could, though we wish we knew what tomorrow held, we'll never be able to look into the future. We'll never be fully aware of what is going on in the present. What is someone dealing with that you don't know that is causing them to maybe act in a certain way? What is taking place behind the scenes, maybe positively within the church that you have no idea that's taking place, some person serving in the background that you don't know about? God knows, we don't know. We need to remember that. But in some ways, we must train our eyes to be like God's eyes. As we said, the Lord doesn't look upon the physical, but we need to train our eyes to be like God in the sense that we look upon the heart and look on the things of others, not just on our own things, but on the things of others, Philippians chapter two and verse number four. We don't need to look with prejudice, just as God is not a respecter of person, though he, just as though he does not look with partiality, so too you and I, as James says in chapter two, verse number one, that we ought not to hold the faith of our Lord with partiality to those that are within our assembly or wherever we may go. We also need to make sure that we don't look upon sin with fondness. You think about the fact that Habakkuk chapter one, verse number 13 says about God that you are of purer eyes than to look upon evil. Is that the case in your life? Have you trained your eyes to be like God's eyes to where you cannot look upon sin because you have such a disdain for it? As Job said, perhaps you need to make a covenant with your eyes, to make a covenant with your eyes but also as we've just considered the fact that God has forgiven us of our sins and no longer sees our pardoned sins, I would implore you this evening to train your eyes to no longer look upon your pardoned sins with anxiety, with, with a, a, a vision or a mindset that constantly dwells upon those things. I'm not saying that you wholly and totally forget about those things in the sense that maybe you don't want to continue to try and prove and see how far that you've come, but look upon those things the way that God looks upon them as forgiven, no longer held to your account because the God of heaven looks at them that way. This evening, I want us to consider the fact that we can find favor in the eyes of God. In Genesis chapter six and verse number eight, it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes people aren't sure about whether or not God sees them with fondness, whether or not God looks upon them with love and care and mercy. But as it said in 1 Peter chapter three and verse number four, let it be the hidden man of the heart 
and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. When we're faithful to the Lord, when we do what he desires of us to follow after his will, when we bring glory to him, even when we don't, God looks upon us as someone that he loves so dearly. Never forget that. May we always live every single day realizing that the Lord sees not as man sees. He sees like no one else in this world this evening. If you have decided that you want to become a Christian, the Bible is clear and plain about what it takes to to put your Lord on and to have your sins forgiven. He desires that you believe in him, that you confess his sweet name, that you repent of the sins that are in your life and that you put him on in the watery grave of baptism to have your sins washed away. Perhaps you've done all that though and maybe you are a Christian already and you have strayed from God and you want to once again be in his graces because you have realized that you have fallen out of his grace. We ask if there's anything that we can do for you tonight, we ask that you come as we stand and as we sing.